it really has very little to do with, with me or with Carolyn other than the fact that we were conduits. And we realized uh, Adja, when we met her, we actually were uh, with the Madison Church at the time, and we were giving out food on, on uh, Saturday morning, and her mother sent her instead of her coming with uh, their family. And we would take them in a room, and there were several chairs, and we'd meet with them and find out what can we do to help you. And I asked her when she came in, uh, I said, uh, Aja, are you, uh, are you in school? She said, you mean high school? I was really thinking about college. But I said, well, OK, high school. She said, no, I graduated last year. I said, are you in college? She said, no, but I, I wanted to go. I paid my fee but I couldn't figure out how to do uh, the financial aid. And I said, do you want to go to school? She said, yes, I'd like to. So I wrote my name and telephone number down on a piece of paper, and I gave it to her. I said, if you're serious, you call me, and I'll see if I can get you to school, and we'll find out uh, what needs to be done. That was on Saturday. On Monday, Carolyn and I weren't out that evening. I don't remember where we went, but we came in. We had the answering machine then, and there was a voice message from Aja. Before I could call her back on Tuesday, she called again. To make a long story short, I went out to Nashville State or called, first of all, to get information. I called and gave it to her, and I said, what would you like to do? She said, I'd like to go out there. So I went and I took her out. She ended up enrolling, but what Ferris mentioned about her family. There were four of them. Her mother was hooked on drugs, has been ever since Aja was born. And she gets off of it and back on them. She was the oldest of four children. She had, when she was just a little girl, have to help take care of the others because Mama wasn't around much. Her mother, even since Aja has graduated from here, has been uh, spent as much as six months in prison. Her oldest brother, who is younger than she is, has been murdered, selling drugs. Somebody owed him money, didn't have it, and he proceeded to beat up on him. And the young man left, went back to his house, and got a gun, and came back and killed him. Her other brother has been in and out of jail already a number of times. Her little sister has fallen, gone down the same path that her mother has. It's amazing to me when I stop and think about it, where she's come from and what she's done. But this wouldn't have happened either if it wasn't for Faulkner and if it wasn't for Billy Hilliard. I called Billy and I said, Billy, she doesn't have any money. He said, well, we'll get financial aid and she can work and what it doesn't cover, we'll take care of. You can't do that for every student. But he stayed with it the whole time she was here. But I promise you, she wouldn't have had a chance at all of ever one day being in heaven. But if you will pray for her, if you don't remember her name, just God will remember her because we're still working with her from a spiritual perspective because we want her to be in heaven as well. And I'm indebted to Faulkner and to Billy Hillier. Ferris Austin took out a lot of time, as did Dean Itson and others who worked her because she wasn't the easiest person necessarily to work with but she had enough grit and determination that she actually finished and got the degree. I'm delighted to be here. There's no one in here happier to be here than I am. And I want you to know that six 
of the happiest years of my life were spent with this church and Alabama Christians, two more years with the college itself. I, I promise you, I've never had an eight-year period of time in my life that was any happier or what I felt like we were more blessed than right here. And the man that was primarily responsible for hiring me, if some of you are upset with that for me coming, you can blame it on Brother Brandon. Brother Brandon hired me when I brought him into office. He said, you're the very guy we want here to be our basketball coach. And I stuck back my shoulders. I was so proud. And then I found out I was his third choice. <laughs> Actually, the, uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Don Meyer, had, uh, they had approached him and then Jackie Bradford. But I was blessed. I can tell you this. When he said in that, in that room that day that I, I could come and be the coach, uh, before, before I left the room, Carolyn was already packing and coming here, and that was before cell phones. She heard me from the office, and we came. But I'm delighted to be here. There's so many other people in here that I could call by name, and I don't want to do that because I'll leave others out, but I do want to mention those two. Now, Brother Brent, did you know he had a birthday this past week? Did you all know that? Yeah, isn't that right, Brother Brandon? You had a birthday on Thursday? Yeah, past, this past Thursday. You don't see many men that can get around as well as he does at 100 years of age. <laughs> Doesn't he look good for 100? Oh, he, somebody told me he didn't look a day over 90. <laughs> and he is, but happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. But he was a blessing to me. I want to tell you one short story about Brother Brandon. I'd been here about three years. And when I arrived here, uh, I came from Georgia Christian School in Valdosta, Georgia, and we were used to having nothing. We got here, and we had this beautiful Tyne Davis gymnasium when I got here. But at any rate, I kind of assumed the responsibility of picking up the trash and cleaning the floor, and I'd take my wife and children over on Saturdays, even though Willard Tate warned me about it and said, John, don't ever do it. But about three years later, Brother Brandon called me and said, John, can you come by the office? I don't know if you remember this or not, Yuli, uh, but I walked over, and he had wanted to talk to me about something. He was always easy to talk with and to get around with. But at any rate, I was sitting there, and he said, John, I went down to the gym yesterday, and I picked up two or three Coke cans and several pieces of paper. He said, when I come in this rotunda, if I see something on the ground, I just pick it up. Now, what I'm going to tell you now, I can't, still can't believe it came out of my mouth. I looked at him, I said, Brother Brandon, I've been cleaning that gym and taking care of it ever since I've been here. There's a difference. Here you have full-time people doing janitorial work. I don't have anybody at the gym, and I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I said, I'm fired. And he kind of bristled a little bit and smiled at me. And on Monday, he called me and said, John, starting today, we've got two students who will be down there 15 hours a week to help out. I said, praise God, I should have said that to him three years ago. <laughs> but I love, I love Brother Brandon. I love this church. I enjoyed being here. And that, let me tell you, preaching was the least thing that I wanted to do when I was here. And the reason is, when you have people like Brother Brandon and Billy Hillier and E.J. Turner and so many others, people that know more about the Bible than I do, what do you do? How do you say it to convey a message? 
Billy would get up and preach and never have a note. And I was, as Rubel Shelley described himself, he said, I'm a noted preacher. And I always had about four pages of notes when I went up there into the pulpit. And Billy would do it without, uh, without note number one. But both of them, you won't find any two people any easier to get along with. And in fact, if you have any problems getting along with Billy or Dr. Brandon, it's hard for me to call Billy Dr. Hillier, but you better first of all look in the mirror because it's just that easy. But we're delighted to be, to be here today, and I want to I share something with you this morning. I got my issue of the Christian Chronicle, I think it was on Thursday, this is September's issue. Anybody in here already have your issue? Have you seen it? You remember what's on the very front cover? I looked and I picked it up and it said, Can Churches of Christ be saved? And what they're, what they're saying in here, they give some facts and figures and history. They say that Churches of Christ as such quit growing in the 90s. From the year 2000 on, we've been decreasing in uh, total membership. Beginning in 2006 through 2016, an average of 58 churches have been closing their doors every year. So I want to ask you a question. Do you think, is, is that true? Is it reflected here? And if so, and this is just a thought question. What can we do to change it? Now, if any of you have a thought you'd like to share, I'll, I'll listen and we'll, we'll just make it. If anybody, what can we do to change so that the growth turns and goes this direction, if all the figures and facts that they've given are the same. Okay? Just remember any thought in your head, and we'll go a little bit further. I want to show you something first. Now, if I match this, will you need to show the first one, or do I just click it? I click it. Anybody recognize this young man? I see one hand over here. Anybody else? I see a few hands. This young man was 26 years of age. He graduated at Harding University in 2016. And Thursday night of last week, he was in his own apartment at night, and a police woman came off of the shift. She lived in the same apartment complex, and for somehow and some reason, she walked into his apartment. I don't know the details about how that could happen. I have to think that maybe the door wasn't Locked, and it's just a mistake. We don't know all the facts about it. But she thought he was in her apartment. She drew her gun and shot and killed him. Tim Lee, who has played basketball for me here and one of my best friends, I get spiritual thoughts and prayers from Tim almost every week. The last time, or next to the last time that I was down here, Tim gave me a, a pen. And on the pen, it said, life can change on a dime. In November of 2013, my life changed on a dime. But it's different from, from this young man. His sister said this week, she said, he just had a birthday. And I was wondering, what am I going to get him for his birthday? Now I have to go pick out his cap. Life 
can change on a dime. Not always that dramatic, but then we don't know. Can you imagine that happening? I never dreamed about that happening to me, and I'm sure you haven't either. This young man was a godly man. Harding University said we're mourning. He would lead singing in chapel. He's, he's leading singing or worship there at a church in, uh, in Dallas, Texas, and shares his faith and has Bible studies. So he wouldn't choose to come back here because of where he is now. But life can change on a dime. I don't preach anymore. I did a poor job when I was trying to preach. And I wondered, what can I share that will be a benefit? See, when I was here on Wednesday nights, we were in this building. It just wasn't developed like this. What you see right here, we had the two rows. And on Wednesday night, we'd fill up about half of it with college students. And I can tell you, that was the highlight of my week. I tried to organize it kind of like Marvin Phillips did. He called his the peak of the week. And I can promise you, it was the peak of my week because of the inspiration that I, I de derived from it. And when I think about not growing and not leading people to Christ, it, it saddens me. It really does. And so I thought, what am I going to share? You see, my dad did not become a Christian until he was 30 years of age. And at 35, a preacher friend of his who helped lead him to the Lord told my dad, and he was real subtle about it, he said, Lawrence, if you don't go to preaching, you're going to go to hell. Now, my dad could take that from him. What he was saying is, you've got the ability, and you need to leave your secular work and you need to start working full-time for God. My dad was passionate about souls. He was right up until he died. My dad had dementia. We went and picked him up when he was 88. And in the, in the, on Thanksgiving Day of 01, he passed away. The last week that he went to church, he fell at church at the Madison Church building there in Nashville and never came home. That week, Thursday before that Sunday, he came out. When he moved over, we brought his desk from church, a desk that he'd been with this church for 40 years. And they let him have his desk, and we had a couple of bookcases, and we reconstructed his office there as close as possible. And when he walked in, his face just lit up. He came out of that office on Thursday, and I said, Dad, you got your lesson ready? He said, yeah. He had taught out of the Gospel Advocate quarterly for more than 50 years. And he used it, and he had it prepared. And then he said, but it won't do me any good. And what he meant was he wouldn't be able to teach. And he was sad. After he fell and went into the hospital, I went into the office and I got his Bible and opened it up. And there was a, a tablet-sized pages about 
eight inches tall and about five inches wide. And he had 13 pages of notes for his lessons that he wasn't even going to be able to teach. If he could have found anyone that would have sat down with him and studied the last week that he was really viable and alive, he would have done it in a heartbeat. Now, I, I know I don't look it, but I'm 78. You're supposed to say, amen, you don't look it. <laughs> I'll be 79 in November. I tell you, I do not feel old. And I don't ever plan to retire. In November of 2013, I was diagnosed as having stage 4 cancer. But my doctor happened to be a Christian, Dr. Thomas Taylor. He goes to the Concord Church there in Nashville. And he looked at me and he said, but John, if there's such a thing as having a cancer of choice, you may have it because it's one of the very slowest growing kinds. And I promise God that as long as I'm on this earth, that if he'll open a door for me to have any kind of an influence on anyone, that I try to recognize the door and walk through it. I don't pray for him to extend my life unless I qualify. If for some way I can be an asset to somebody to encourage them and be an asset to the kingdom of God. That's why I get disturbed a little bit when I read things like the headlines of that paper. I read a book just recently entitled The Kingdom Unleashed. Has anybody in here read the book or seen it, heard of it? Oh, I want to encourage you to get it. Jerry Trousdale is the principal author. Someone else helped him. He worships with the church there in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. But he said Christianity... Believers in Jesus are exploding in every continent on earth with the exception of the North American continent and Europe, Africa, Asia, other continents. And he studied in trying to find out why. And one of the things is that when they lead somebody to Christ, they immediately say, who do you know? and get them to start sharing their faith. Now, let me see what, uh, yeah, here we go. This is Paul's statement, and I'd like for somebody, if you will, we're going to read it, you can look at it. Paul said, I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and to be with Christ, which is far better for me. And the rest of that is, and that's my fault, I didn't get it on that slide. It'll be better for you if I stay. Somebody tell me, what was Paul trying to say? Now, please, I don't set anybody up to give a wrong answer. Now, if somebody doesn't speak up, I'm going to call Brother Hillier's name. What's Paul saying? Anybody? Do you think maybe he would have even chosen to go ahead and be with God? He left one city, didn't he? They drug him outside and left him for what? 
this was a fill-in-the-blank question. They left him for dead. Thank you. They stoned him. If he wasn't dead, he was so near it they thought he was dead. And he said, for me, it'd be a whole lot better if I could just go ahead and go. I don't want to compare myself to the Apostle Paul, but that's the way I feel. I'm not afraid to die. My wife and I are going to China in October, and if I have time at the end, I'll show you some slides. Some of you in this very room are helping us to do that financially. There are six of us to go because we started a life group in our home in May of 2016. And we prayed that God would send us people who were not Christians. And he put us in contact with a woman by the name of Jana Brown, who works with a program called Friends Speak. And we work with a group of Chinese, none of which even believed there was a God. I promise you, we've been stumbling for two years to know exactly what to teach and how to teach it and to lead them. We've gotten very close to a lot of them. We're going to China because one of them, Dr. Yiping, by the way, all of these, they work at Vanderbilt University. They have PhDs and medical degrees and veterinarians. Dr. Gentile and his wife, Ann, he teaches, he's doing research, stem cell research on the heart. They've been coming for two years. And they have not yet accepted Christ. And I'll have a picture maybe later if we have time to show it to you. But Friday night, we had a dinner in Nashville to try to help raise funds to help some of the others that are going with us to make the trip. And he and his wife and his father and his mother gave us $200 to go to China and teach people about Jesus. Stay or go. Paul said, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. See, that's what he's, again, he's saying essentially the same thing, isn't he? So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are home in the body or away from it. And then he says, for one day we'll all stand before the judge in the final day. In the fifth chapter of the same letter, he said, for Christ's love compels us. Let me tell you, there's only one reason why all six of us are going to China. And that's a four-letter word, and it's called love. Almost all of the Chinese call my wife and I, Mimi and Papa. They ask me, will you be our adopted grandparents here in America? We were honored and flattered. Love compels us to share. If Gentile and Ann do not become Christians, it'll probably be the end of Carolyn and me because we feel so close to them. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for Christ. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. He's a new creature. We're a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. God who reconciled 
us to him through Christ Jesus for the ministry of reconciliation. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer what? Who lives? Christ, where does he live? Listen, it dawned on me this week, and I don't know why, but this thought has never dawned on me before. Do you remember when Moses was on the mountain and God told him, you're on holy ground, take your what off? Your shoes. Because God was there. But Jesus said, when I leave, it'll be better for you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will live inside you. And he told us, be you holy as I am holy. That's what we're all being called to. But Paul said, when I came to you, brethren, in Corinth, he said, listen, there was something that I determined. I was not going to speak to you with words of wisdom or with eloquent language. If Paul were, were here today, we'd probably be calling him Dr. Paul because he sat at the feet of a man by the name of Gamaliel. See, you all know it as well as I do. A learned man of his day. He was learned. But he said, I didn't want to speak to you with eloquent words. I didn't want your wisdom, I didn't want your obedience to be based on me or anything that I said or how I said it. But I determined not to know anything but Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus summed it up. I am the, please fill in these blanks with me. I am the, I am the, I am the, what else is left? Someone described a preacher to me one time, I actually described it to a friend of mine, and he told me about it. And he said, all, all that man ever does is preach Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But he told the wrong person. He just said, praise God. Oh, that's all there is. In the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, listen, this one thing is more important than anything is. What is that, Paul? Jesus Christ came, died, buried, and was resurrected. That's it. That's Jesus. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. Oh, this is so important. Do you want, you want any prayer that you offer? Do you want it to be answered? We all do. I used to wonder about that so much. Andrew Murray said there are two things in this. If we ask it in the name of Jesus for the Father to be glorified, it will happen. He said if those two ingredients aren't there, there's no promise. But if they're there, he'll answer it. Prayer. Where I'm worshiping at Greater Nashville Church, we're in the midst of a 30-day prayer and fast. And I hesitate to mention that word fast. See, I maintained, before I got to Alabama Christian, I was a fat high school coach. And when I came here, when 
I didn't want to be a fat college coach. And I lost weight and kept it down. And after I got cancer, while I was taking chemo, see, I've had part of my colon removed, part of my liver removed, hernia surgery. I've been cut all the way down here and all the way around the side. So if I gain a pound, it's going to hang even out more because I don't have any muscles to hold it in. And that's just an excuse. So I'm fasting from the food, and I'm praying that God will help me not to let food be my master. Period. I'll do whatever. The harvest, and I'll listen to this real quickly. The harvest is plentiful, he said, but the workers are what? Few. Then let's all say that together. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are Now, notice what he says in the next sentence. I've read that verse of Scripture all of my life, and I've never caught it. Jesus said, ask my Father, or some translation says the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Now, don't raise your hand, but anybody in here besides me until about six, about eight months ago now, ever prayed that and said, God, Jesus asked us to ask you to send workers out? That's part of my daily prayer now. I try not to utter a prayer that I don't say, Father, the harvest is plentiful, but we need workers. But then notice the very next line. Jesus said, go, I am sending out like among the wolves. I don't want to embarrass anyone. I don't want anybody to think I'm talking to you, but I'm probably talking to all of us. How often do we invite others to hear about Jesus? How often have maybe we said, that's not my gift. We all have different gifts, John. That's not mine. And you know, when I read this, he was sending out the 70 or 72 into what we call the limited commission. He said, go, I am sending you out like lamb. Listen, I can tell you there are times that that I, I have been silent because I didn't want to invite somebody. I was going to be embarrassed. I thought maybe they wouldn't receive it or they'd get upset or say something to me that might hurt my feelings. We live in America, and seldom, now the day may be coming, but seldom do we have to suffer anything other than a little verbal and rejection. The last recorded words of Jesus, recorded by, this one is by Mark. He said, go into all the world and do what? To whom? All creation. One translation says every creature. Who's he talking to? His disciples. Thank you. Let's say it again. His, who are we? 
Matthew's last recorded words of Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them what you know. Three things. That's his only plan. Luke's last recorded words of Jesus as he was standing on the Mount of Ascension. Jesus told him, he said, It is not for you to know the times, the dates the Father has set to you by this authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He told him, You go back to Jerusalem and you wait there till you receive the power. And then he says, You will be my in and 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 That's all of it. Justin, can you play that video? Just bear with me. I've got nine minutes and I'm going to get you out on time. This just takes three minutes. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The question that you really should ask is, that? how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie, because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is is it's me. I travel around the country, and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. And in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's... You know, it's, it's pretty cool. So I'm, we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> all right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, as if. Your uncle just got out of jail. You got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that Like me. 
Okay, go ahead and cut it. Okay. Um. Now, he explains the difference between the first time he knew the song and he sang it beautifully, but now he had a purpose. I ask you if you knew what would change this. It dawned on me after I watched this. In the church, we have confused our why with what. It's not what we do. Now, did Jesus, did Jesus feed the hungry people? Sometimes thousands at one setting. He even said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, it'll not go unnoticed. Did he heal the sick? He helped the lame to walk, the blind to see? But listen to me now. That was not his why. We sing the song, why did my Savior come to this earth and to the humble death? Jesus knew what his why was. And even when he had that so-called triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he knew the end result. But the Bible says that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The church has forgot the why and confused it with what? Who is the church? Anybody else in here part of the church besides me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Was that the first one or the last one? First one. I'll wrap this up. I had these pens printed like Tim Lee had, and he gave it to me. It says on there, life can change on a dime. And if I'm at a restaurant, maybe the one serving me, I'll just hand them a pen and I'll ask them, have you ever heard of that expression before? And probably she hasn't. Am I right or wrong? Yes or no? Yes. It amazes me how many younger people have not heard that particular expression, but when I ask them, what do you think it means, they generally know. It can change quickly. It did for that young man. It's just a door open. We went to Old Charlie's to eat here about four weeks ago. I let Carolyn out at the door, and being the gentleman that I am, I walked, drove back to the parking lot and parked the car and came back. You're supposed to feel sorry for me. <laughs> and by the time I got inside, the young man that seated Carolyn, she had already invited him to come to church. He's been with us twice. We've had two other people in the church to get with him. That doesn't happen every time we invite somebody. But what would happen 
if every single day and every time you met here together, we prayed, Lord, the harvest is ripe, send out workers, and then remember Jesus' words and say, Lord, use me and send me. And then what if we shared and just said, like the Samaritan woman, do you remember her? An outcast who wouldn't even go draw the water early in the morning like everybody else did. She went in the heat of the day. But when Jesus talked to her and told her her life, she went out of the community and she said, come and hear a man who's told me everything I've done. Could he be the Messiah? One year from today, if all of us were to do this, pray and invite, there are people in this town that want the love and the fellowship that you have. I know, because I thrived on it when we were here in town. You've listened so well. Thank you. May God bless you. You're, whatever you do now, you're just...